Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop breaks down the role of the deacon. What can they do and not do, and why? Then he gives an update on the diaconate program in our diocese. The show wraps up with listener-submitted questions on mystics, silence before Mass, and more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our good Bishop joining us for another episode. Thanks for being here, Bishop. Good to be with you, Kyle. How's it going? It's going great. And today we're going to talk about the diaconate. And I was wondering, how much do you remember about your time as a transitional deacon? Yeah. No, uh, thank you for that question. I was ordained a deacon in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome in 1982. Who ordained you? Cardinal Terence Cook, a very holy man. He okay. was Archbishop of New York, uh-huh. and um, there were about 40 of us, maybe 41 in my class. We were ordained at the altar of the chair in St. Peter's Basilica, and that summer, because we were ordained in the spring, my diaconal assignment was in Spain, and I worked in Salamanca, two parishes, actually, huh. that had the same pastor, and it was... A uh, good opportunity for me to be immersed in Spanish. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I celebrated my first wedding there. Um, I don't know how good my Spanish was back then, the poor couple. But um, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, that's, that was my uh, diaconal ministry. When I then went back for my fourth year of theology, I did serve as a deacon in a hospital, okay. uh, you know, one day a week. So I would preach at masses and you know, bring Holy Communion to the sick. So that was the extent of my diaconal experience. So you, of course, grew up speaking English. You learn Italian so that you can study in Rome. At what point did you learn Spanish? Um, I had one year in college, um, but I didn't really, you know, one year is not enough. (laughs) So I'd say that um, I learned more through immersion. So that experience in Spain But also then when I became ordained a priest, I worked in Hispanic communities. And so that was more immersion. In Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. So my first two years as a priest, um, I worked part-time in Hispanic ministry. And it was just just so happened that a priest who was serving the Mexican migrant workers in Adams County near Gettysburg, where there's a lot of apple orchards, um, (laughs) there were a lot of migrant camps. And that priest left, so the bishop, and I was assigned an hour away in York, Pennsylvania. So the bishop asked me to go there two days a week as a young priest. And um, and it had a chapel called Cristo Rey, Christ the King. Uh So that was even more immersion. So I'd say just gradually through the years, I learned more and more Spanish, uh, but I really never had much formal education in it except for that one year in college. Okay. Well, getting back onto the topic of the diaconate, we mentioned transitional deacons. Can you explain the difference between a transitional deacon and a permanent deacon? Yes. Um, transitional deacon is one who is really called to the priesthood. And uh, the last step before ordination to the priesthood is ordination to the diaconate. So no one is allowed to be ordained a priest if they're not first a deacon. Mm -hmm. And generally, our uh, transitional deacons are deacons for about a year, and then they're ordained to the priesthood, maybe two years. So it's kind of a a step towards the priesthood. But I want to point out that when one is ordained a deacon, 
uh, one receives the indelible character of the diaconate. In other words, it's something that affects one's soul. We are configured to Christ the deacon, Christ the servant. That's not lost when one is ordained a priest. Mm -hmm. So if you said, Bishop, are you a deacon? I would say yes. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a priest or a bishop is always still a deacon. As a matter of fact, it's an interesting thing. The vestment that a deacon wears is called the dalmatic, mm -hmm. and he wears a stole over his left shoulder, and then on top of that, a dalmatic. It's interesting that when, as a bishop, I am a allowed to wear the dalmatic under the chasuble, uh -huh. and um, although that's a lot of vestments, but <laughs> there are times where I do. Yeah. Like sometimes when I'm doing an ordination, I will have a dalmatic on under the uh, chasuble. And it's a great reminder that I'm still a deacon, a servant. You know, that's what the word diakonos in Greek, diakonos means servant. So that's integral part of both uh, ministry of a priest and the ministry of a bishop. Now, when we talk about permanent deacons, that's a special vocation of those who are called, those men who are called to be deacons permanently throughout their lives. They're not called to the priesthood. The church allows those called to be permanent deacons to be married, although one has to be married before they're ordained mm -hmm. to the diaconate. As a matter of fact, um, if one is becoming a permanent deacon and they're not married, they do make a promise of celibacy. Okay. And if a permanent deacon's wife dies, he is not allowed to remarry. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so that would be the distinction, although they're both, it's the same sacrament. I mean, mm -hmm. the same identity, it's the same character imprinted on the soul, whether or not one is permanent deacon or a transitional deacon. And is the ceremony the same, the mass? Yes, except, um, you know, the promise of celibacy is the only difference that... Um, if a man is married, then that part of the ceremony where they make a promise of celibacy is omitted. Okay. You know, I'm not real keen on the term transitional deacon. Okay. Because it, it gives the idea, and I, I understand why we use it, because it's a way to distinguish, but it gives the idea that it's something that's, that's not permanent. Right. You know, transitional, when actually, as I said, a priest or a bishop still has the diaconal character. He still is a deacon. So is there a term that you think would be I, more fitting? I can't fitting? think of another okay. term, so I guess it's the only <laughs> term we use. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's okay as a way of distinguishing, but as long as one doesn't think that one is no longer a deacon right. when they become right. a priest. So you mentioned that you have to be ordained to the diaconate before the priesthood. Is it possible that that would take place at the same ceremony, that there wouldn't be a time period between the one and the other for a priest? No, canon law does require um, six months, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And why is that? Well, first of all, pastorally, I think it's a good idea because as to exercise the diaconate, because that includes preaching, it includes baptizing the different uh, aspects of a deacon's ministry. So just on a very practical, pragmatic level, if one wasn't ordained a deacon first and one was ordained a priest, he'd, he'd be 
doing all of the priestly things, preaching and as well as celebrating the other sacraments like the Eucharist and, and penance. So it's kind of a, a I guess, a um, more gradual way yeah. of assuming these responsibilities. Sure. I want to circle back to a couple things that you mentioned. One of them was that you mentioned the, the deacon putting his stole over his shoulder. Yes. Uh, why the distinction between a priest who had put it, I guess, over your neck and hanging in front, you know, both on shoulders, both sides yeah. versus the diaconate is off to the side. I think it's always been as a way of distinguishing okay. the two orders. Yeah. And then the other thing you said was as a bishop, you would sometimes wear the dalmatic. dalmatic. Uh, would a priest wear a dalmatic as well because he's still a deacon? Um, you know what? That's a good question. I don't know of that. Maybe... I do think um, in the traditional Latin mass, a priest could, uh, don't quote me on this, okay. uh, I'd have to look it up, but I think that a priest could vest as a deacon in the old form okay. uh, and assist because they didn't have concelebration mm -hmm. before the, um, the uh, Novo Sordo, before the, the liturgical, uh, the new form of the, of the mass. So I think back then, a priest could serve as a deacon to the priest who is the celebrant of the mass. Okay. So that's interesting. But I, as far as now in the Novus Ordo, I don't think that's um, that's not a custom or that's not permitted. Mentioning concelebration, we talk about priests concelebrating a mass. Is the deacon also concelebrating, or is that a different? It's different. No, uh, we don't speak of a deacon as a celebrant or a con-celebrant, because okay. it's important to understand, as the church teaches, that a deacon is ordained to the ministry, not to the priesthood. Okay. In Latin, non ad sacerdotium sed ad ministerium. Okay. So that's, um, that's a really important thing to remember. Of course, a deacon shares in the priestly office of uh, all the baptized, but not in the ministerial priesthood, the ordained priesthood. So therefore, it wouldn't be proper to speak of a deacon. He is a servant at the liturgy, mm -hmm. not a priest. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about the similarities and the differences between deacon and priest? I would say that the um, when one is ordained a deacon, one is configured to Christ the deacon, the servant, mm -hmm. the one who came not to be served, but to serve. And when you look at the functions of the deacon, they're all related to service, service at the altar. And I think most Catholics, that's what they see the deacon assisting the right. priest at the altar. The deacon does exercise the ministry of the word. He proclaims the gospel. Okay. So a lay person cannot proclaim the gospel at mass. Mm -hmm only uh, a deacon or a priest so uh, or bishop. So there's a, a service of the word. The word in Greek, diakonia, means service. So there's the service of the word, and, and a deacon is allowed to preach mm -hmm. the homily. So the service of the word, the service of the liturgy, and that would include a deacon is, able, is a, an ordinary minister of the sacrament of baptism. Mm -hmm. A deacon can assist at marriages. In other words, receive the vows of the couple. He can preside at funeral liturgies outside of mass. Mm -hmm. So there are these various 
ways in which there is a sacramental ministry of the deacon. So when you say he can serve at the, the funerals outside of mass, would that include like a, a service in the church? That yes. would be a funeral service, yeah. but wouldn't be a, a full mass? Right. It would just be the liturgy of the word. Okay. And that happens in many places, especially where there's a shortage of priests. Mm-hmm. So not just something at the gravesite, but actually something in the church. Exactly. Okay. So we've got weddings, baptisms, funerals, without yes. a mass. Deacon can confer certain blessings. Mm-hmm. There are certain blessings that are reserved to a priest, just like there are some reserved to a bishop, but a deacon can impart certain blessings. And if you wonder, there's the church has what's called the book of blessings. So mm-hmm. that's when you look at the book of blessings, you can see which a deacon is allowed to do. Are they in two different sections or? No, no, it's there. No, you kind of have to look at each <laughs> okay. one. It, it would be nice if that was, okay. if it was organized that way. Um, but then the third very distinctive element of the diaconate is, is the service of charity. So we speak of a deacon's service, okay, the service of the word, service of the liturgy, and then the service of charity. And this has always been a distinctive element of the diaconate going back to the early church. The deacons were uh, entrusted especially with service of the poor. I mean, you think of the great martyr, St. Lawrence, he was a deacon. So in Rome, he was kind of like the, uh, the treasurer. He was in charge of the money, the stewardship. And what was the money for? It was for the care of the poor, of widows, orphans, etc. And when he was arrested and the, um, the Roman authorities demanded that he bring forward the treasures of the church, he brought the sick and the poor. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is the church's treasure. Right. I mean, I, that was, and it's true. So that service of charity... And I even see in our deacons today, I always, when I ordain our permanent deacons, I will talk to them about this aspect of their ministry because, you know, I don't ordain deacons merely for the service of the word or the service of the liturgy, but also the, the service of charity. Mm-hmm. And there are various ways that a deacon can exercise that ministry. I'm really happy, for example, some of our, you know, our priests have a lot of, of um, a lot of work, and the deacons be, are, can be a great help. And one thing I noticed was, you know, that we weren't the Catholic Church uh, wasn't present enough in our jails and prisons serving mm-hmm. uh, prisoners. And you know, some of our permanent deacons do that ministry, and I'm so grateful for that. And that fits that whole ministry of charity mm-hmm. because you know those in prison need to, um, you know, are, we, we cannot neglect. Uh, so to bring them the Holy Eucharist or to go and, and lead a, a liturgy of the word or help the prisoners in whatever way. Another thing would be ministry to the sick. And so many of our deacons are devoted to bringing Holy Communion to the homebound uh, or to hospitals, nursing homes. We have deacons who are in their parishes kind of entrusted with the leadership of charitable works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deacons involved, for example, in the St. Vincent de Paul Society or other charitable activities of a parish. So that's a a real important part of, of the ministry of a deacon. 
so I guess just trying to think about process of elimination here. No confessions. You can't hear confession, forgive sins. And no Eucharist. You can't uh, celebrate the Mass. Holy, um, a last rites? Can, no, uh, he cannot celebrate the anointing of the sick. Okay. Um, he can bring viaticum to the dying, uh-huh. a holy communion to the dying, and, and do prayers. Uh-huh. Uh, but Could he, any layperson do that? Yes, uh, but I think it's especially okay, appropriate sure. for a deacon. But I think, yeah, I, I neglected your earlier question about the differences between a priest and a deacon. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I'd say on the issue of, of the sacraments, three sacraments that are reserved to a priest would be the celebration of the Holy Eucharist, the celebration of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, and the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And so why the difference between those three versus baptism, weddings? It really goes back to um, the effect of the ordination. Okay. Because when one is ordained a priest, one is configured to Christ the head and shepherd of the church, the great high priest. So what happens spiritually uh, when one is ordained a priest, one is configured to Christ the priest. And remember, and, and the priest offers sacrifice. The priest is empowered by Christ like the apostles were to forgive sins in his name. Mm-hmm. When you read in the letter to the uh, to letter of James in the New Testament, it's the priests, the presbyters, who go and anoint the sick. So this all has biblical roots, and it has to do with the identity that one receives upon ordination. So again, a deacon is ordained not to the priesthood, but to the ministry, ministerium, service. Mm-hmm. A priest is ordained and already has that diaconal ordination, but then he becomes united in the core of his being to Christ as the great high priest who offers sacrifice and forgives sins. Okay. Then what are the expectations for a deacon as far as work goes? Are they expected to work in the church? I know some deacons work outside the church. How does that? Yeah, a lot of deacons have um, secular jobs, mm-hmm. either full-time or part-time jobs, you know, and, and need to support their their families, etc. And so their diaconal ministry is is in addition to that, and it's something that they do not receive a salary for. Now, there are some permanent deacons who may be working for the church. Mm-hmm and therefore receiving a salary from the church. But in that situation, it's not for diaconal ministry. It's for whatever position they've been hired for. Mm-hmm. For example, maybe a, a diocesan office or a Catholic school teacher right. or a, a parish uh, pastoral minister, whatever. Yeah, so we do have a few deacons who do work full-time for the church. And then they do receive a salary in that case. So, what kind of qualities do you think makes for a good deacon? Humility. Okay. Because it's all about service. And therefore, 
you know, that's kind of foundational. It's mm-hmm. the foundational virtue for deacons and priests and bishops because Jesus came among us as the one who serves. So that spirit of service is essential. And, and, um, and really, you know, the maturity of mature Christian life, men who have shown that they are dedicated to Christ and the church, they have a spiritual maturity, they have a, a life of prayer, that they are good witnesses in the community as disciples of Jesus. So we look for good, holy men who are living their Catholic faith mm-hmm. in a way that, that can inspire others. Is there an age requirement? There is 35 if one is married, 25 if one is unmarried. Oh, okay. Is there a limit for an age where you think somebody's maybe too old to enter the diaconate? That's always that, that's a question that comes up. Um, we don't have a. I don't think we have a set age in our diocese. Although it's quite a period of formation. It's a four-year mm-hmm. program of formation. So it can be difficult if one is, um, you know, approaching retirement age or or retired and is in their seventies or whatever. That can be uh, quite difficult. And the diaconate is only open to men. I know there's some confusion about this because in scripture we hear about deaconesses. Could Correct. you explain that? Yeah, I mean, the um, yeah, Pope Francis, although I haven't heard about this for quite some time, but some years ago there was still ongoing study of the possibility of, of women being ordained deacons. And there's a debate about it, especially looking at the scriptures or even the early church for that matter. For example, in one of Paul's letters, there's a reference to the deaconess Phoebe. Mm -hmm. Um, But what did that mean, deaconess? There were obviously deaconesses in those early centuries of the church. The the question is, were they ordained or not? Because Mm -hmm. remember, the word deacon means minister or servant. So when you look at the texts, both in scripture and in the the early centuries of the church, women who were called deaconesses had different functions Mm -hmm. than the male deacons. So the big question is, was what they received really sacramental? Was it the sacrament of holy orders? So scholars are divided on that question, uh, and the church has restricted ordination to the diaconate to men, but it's still theologically debated. Okay. And then... Is the ordination to the diaconate, would that be considered a partial sacrament of holy orders? Or because uh, you have ordination to the diaconate, ordination to the priesthood, ordination to as a bishop, are all fall under that holy orders. Right. Is that, are they each partial sacraments? Or are they... No, they, how do, how do no we, but uh, there are three grades of holy orders. Okay. So if one is ordained to the grade of the diaconate, I mean, they receive all the grace of ordination. And then when one's ordained to the priesthood, one receives also this configuration to Christ that I've talked about and the graces for that for that ministry. It's the bishop who has the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders. Mm. So there is a, 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 uh, a relationship, important relationship of deacons and priests to the bishop who has 
the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders. Priests do not have that fullness. Deacons do not have that fullness. So I guess in a way you can say that they share in the ministry of the bishop, but really it all goes back to the ministry of Christ. So I don't know about that language of partially. I would guess I'd have to think about whether that's correct theologically, (laughs) but I would say that it depends on what you mean by that. If you mean that he doesn't have the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders, then it's that's correct. Okay. Well, I, I think this is all very helpful for us to understand the diaconate, especially if we don't have deacons in our parish. Do you have any idea how many of our parishes have deacons? We have um, over twenty deacons uh, active in, in active diaconal ministry in our diocese. So I would guess twenty some parishes. Okay. And maybe you could give us a little update on those men that are currently in training for the diaconate? I, don't, yes, I haven't heard anything they, lately about them. Right. They're in the process. As I said, it's a four-year process, so they have another year okay. to go before ordination. They've gone through some of the steps already. They've been admitted as candidates. We call that candidacy. Uh-huh. I've uh, given them the ministry of lector, and I believe the ministry of acolyte is going to be soon. Okay, don't have my calendar. Uh-huh. I don't think we've set a date, I can't remember, of the diaconal ordination, but um, but I'm really excited about it. This is a really good group of men who've been working really hard, and they have excellent formation. The director of our diaconal formation is one of our permanent deacons, Deacon Stan Lemieux, okay. who serves at St. Patrick Parish in Ligonier, and he's been very devoted, and... Um, and we have others who help him. We have a committee that oversees the formation and evaluation of our candidates. And we have a, an outstanding faculty doing the intellectual formation, mm. including uh, most of them are from the University of Notre Dame. Okay. And they really are superb. I, I would say that the formation, uh, especially the academic formation of our permanent deacons is probably the best in the country. But of course, I don't want to be proud. <laughs> yeah, <that'd> be great. <laughs> and how many men are going through that formation right now? Oh, sorry, I don't have the exact number. I want to say, I think it's around 20. Oh, wow. Yeah, it'll be the largest class we've had. Man. And then we had a large class of Hispanic men that went through the diaconate and were ordained in 2018. Any update on ministries that they've been able to be involved with and what's going on with those men? Yeah, most of them are involved in parish ministries, mm-hmm. usually in our, I think all of them in our uh, bilingual parishes. Sure. So they've been a, a tremendous assistance to the priests, and and they do a variety of things. I mentioned um, about jail ministry, and one of our uh, permanent deacons, Deacon Christian Nieves, one of our Hispanic deacons at St. John the Evangelist in Goshen is very devoted to ministry at the Elkhart County Jail. So I'm really excited about that and very grateful to him. And I think others, yeah, a variety of ministries, some are involved in religious education and leading adult faith formation in parishes. A number of them are involved in ministry to the sick. And I'd say they're all involved in one way or another in this uh, service of charity. Okay. Well, thank you for that update, Bishop. And just a reminder for people that have questions, they can go to the Holy Cross College text line and text us at 260 
436-9598. And we have some listeners submitted questions about mystics, uh, talking before mass, and proselytizing versus evangelizing. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, who's going to answer some questions that listeners have submitted. Our first question is a parishioner from St. Thomas Elkhart who asked, why are some saints considered mystics? Yes, I mean, when we talk about Christian mysticism, we're especially talking about those who've had experiences in prayer that are quite extraordinary. This level of contemplation, an experience of of union with God that is a special grace, a special gift. So we can think of you know, great spiritual masters or, or some of the mystical saints like John of the Cross or mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila. And they've kind of, I guess you could say, gone to the heights of, of prayer. But um, again, this is a grace. This isn't something that we ourselves can on our own just uh, become mystics. Mm-hmm. No, this is a special grace of the Holy Spirit. It's not just if you study hard enough or pray hard enough, you'll be you'll have these mystical experiences. Correct. Okay. Mary from St. Mary's Parish in Niles, Michigan said, several times while visiting different parishes recently, I have noticed people talking before mass, just casual conversation, not really loud, but could be easily heard in the next pew. I was always taught to be silent before mass. Has this changed? I'm glad that Redeemer Radio reaches up to Niles. Yeah. That's great. Um, you know, it's important to have quiet in church. I know, for example, sometimes when I'm in the church in a church and praying, and if there's a lot of chatter and all that, it can be very distracting. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that we have to remind people about the importance of of quiet in church so that others can aren't distracted by by that noise. It's easier in certain parishes where they have larger gathering areas where people before mass can chat with each other before they enter the church. It's a little more challenging when it's, especially some older churches where there is no real gathering area. So people go into church and they see someone and they go up and greet them and all that. And that's okay as long as one isn't, you know, it should be very soft and not not um, it should be considering considerate of others who mm-hmm. are who are trying to pray. Is some of these quote behavioral issues potentially? I'm not saying this is what it is. I guess, but, but potentially a result of drawing in people that are not maybe as as faithful or, or as locked in on the faith and. And maybe that could be a good thing that we are attracting people to the church that might not fully understand what they're doing and what's in front of them, that the Eucharist is there. This is Jesus present. We should be reverent. And their lack of reverence isn't 
um, maybe out of being rude or you know disrespectful right. to Jesus or the people around them, but uh, just they're not quite there yet. They don't understand what's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's so it's a very sensitive thing when yeah. you think about it. I I remember when I was a pastor, there were some people who were in the well, they were in the back of the church, but they were always very loud in conversation. And I had to finally, as pastor, gently ask them not to mm-hmm. to be in such loud conversation beforehand. And again, I was wanting to be sensitive. I didn't want them to be offended at the same time or then not come to church. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it was really important to offer that correction fraternally. And as you said, oftentimes it'll be in situations, it could be in situations where people just don't know. Mm -hmm. They could be visitors. They could be non-Catholics. I see it a lot at weddings and funerals yeah. where there's a lot of that that happens before mass. But there should also be that quiet after mass. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd say, you know, to try to wait to enter into those conversations until one leaves church and you can talk outside or in the gathering area, whatever. Yeah. Um, so. All right. Finally, someone wrote in asking, what's the difference between proselytizing and evangelizing? There's a big difference. Um, We're called to evangelize, but never to proselytize. To proselytize is to use coercion. Hmm. You know, it's not respecting other people's freedom. So one who proselytizes is, you know, it's different than sharing your faith with someone or inviting people. That's evangelizing, inviting people to church Mm -hmm. or inviting people to the Catholic faith, inviting people to embrace the gospel. Proselytizing goes further. It's kind of, um, I remember fighting against proselytism where there were some religious groups who would try to convert Catholics to their churches, and they would do it by attacking the Catholic church, by telling lies about the faith Mm -hmm. and things like that. That's proselytizing. That's just not the way of Jesus. Right. We shouldn't be putting down others, nor should we be trying to force our faith on other people. Faith is always a free response to God. Okay. Well, one other thing, maybe before we go, last Saturday, October 16th, there was an opening mass for the Synod of Bishops at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. Could you maybe give us a little... A little summary of what this synod is and maybe what the average Catholic needs to know about it or how we can pray for this synod? It's something that I think we'll be hearing a lot more about. We need a lot of, of education on this, this whole notion of synodality. Now, the word synod is, is an ancient concept and word in the tradition of the church. It has to do with how we as the people of God walk together in our journey of faith so that all of us, all of the baptized, we're all part of the church and we're called to walk together in our faith to support each other. And that's kind of something that Pope Francis has really brought to the fore. So in this present synod, it's really a process of three years. And 
the Pope wanted all the people of God, not just the, it, it's going to, we'll have this synod of bishops in, in Rome in three years, but the Pope really wants all of the faithful to be part of this. Mm-hmm. So it beginning in parishes. And so we've begun this phase where everyone is invited to participate in reflecting on our journey together. And there'll be various questions. We're going to have a lot of different groups throughout the diocese who can meet. And the whole idea is not to gather opinions. The whole idea is to listen together to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful. And the Pope has warned against seeing this as kind of some kind of a parliamentary or political kind of thing. No, it's not at all. It's all the baptized who've received the Holy Spirit as a gift, especially through our baptism and confirmation, that together we're on this journey. And therefore, the whole idea is after we have this listening to the Holy Spirit on the local level, I will submit to the USCCB the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, a 10-page summary of the results of this synodal process on the diocesan level uh, within our parishes. And then there will be a continental gatherings the following year, and then everything goes to the Vatican. And so the whole world, Mm -hmm. uh, all the dioceses of the world, all the Episcopal conferences, all goes to the sec, uh, the secretariat of the synod in Rome, and then the bishops gather in Rome to also listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks through all of the baptized. And then, uh, so this is, I mean, we've had synods of bishops before, mm-hmm. ever since the Second Vatican Council. Pope Paul VI is the Saint, Pope Saint Paul VI started the synods of bishops, but it's a very ancient concept. I mean, even in the early church, but it was kind of reinvigorated by the Second Vatican Council. Of course, bishops did gather in councils, in provinces and that before the council, but This institution of the Synod of Bishops was instituted by Pope St. Paul VI at the Second Vatican Council. So Pope Francis is really trying to emphasize this and saying that this is really the way of the church, that this is is an important thing. So he's kind of revising how the Synod of Bishops has been conducted by having this local beginning on the local level. Uh So we'll have to see how it goes because it is it's kind of new in a sense. I mean, it, as I said, it's ancient, but it's new in the sense that we're really not used to this. When the Pope had the synod on, uh, on the family, the two synods on the family some years ago, there was some participation on the local level. There were questionnaires and things right. like that. Well, this is a lot more. This is not just filling out questionnaires. This is a process of discernment people together, praying together, reflecting on the questions together, questions about synodality, and then um, that discernment. So so we'll see. Um, it's been a little challenging because we only received the working document of how we're supposed to do this in September. Oh. So we've been kind of scrambling to <laughs> yeah. organize it, but we're, go- we're getting there, and, and really we have until March to have these okay. these sessions 
Uh, so I hope a lot of people will participate. All right. And keep it in our prayers as well. As exactly. As All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. Encourage people to continue to not just pray for this synod, but pray for our diocese, pray for our deacons, for those that are preparing for the diaconate, uh, maybe those that are discerning the diaconate as well. So thank you for the, the information today, and thank you for helping us understand that. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.